Opening sequence, opening sequence. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we are the fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> opening sequence, jingle and bells now. We are the fuck you. <laughs> Oh, I'm already twitching. <laughs> like I said, opening oh. sequence. <laughs> fuck, fuck you. Yes. The fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, you ready? Yeah, I am. Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> Before we go, hello. Oh, got you it. Is that like what the duh, duh is? Okay, got it. Okay. Do the opening sequence again. Oh, opening sequence, <laughs> opening sequence, the fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you. Hello! <laughs> Perfect, we need to say that one, that was the best. That and we best. just blew Ron's eardrums out. Right, 100%. Oh, okay. Hi, how's your life? <laughs> goody, goody, Wow. That was not you. Just like jumping in there. Um, well, uh, hello, warm greetings from Oceania. We're in Aotearoa. <laughs> so some warm outside, but uh, we are inside. That's the fortunate parts of hard work. Mm. All right. So you are. Hello. Who are you? Um, human. What are you doing here? Who are you without your conditions? Ooh, that's a very good dry. <laughs> Gross. There's so many ways we can take that. Um, pleasant trees. Pleasant trees. Um, so, kia ora. Kia ora koutou te whanau. My name is Kelsey. S-Y-N-O-E-Y, thank you. Um, just to make that very clear from the start. <laughs> no childhood trauma there. Um, <laughs> um, I am a... Pākehā person uh, who identifies as a gender binary but uh, doesn't want to fuck with that. And I'm a person. Mm-hmm. Pronouns? Uh, they, them, she, her. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, not what about yourself? Who um, are you? Who are you? Who are me? Who am I? Um, I am uh, Joe, a.k.a. Joe Mo, because... Uh, you know, people want some more Joe. Get it, Joe Mo, more Joe. Okay, anyways, um, <laughs> I'll practice on my opening speech. <laughs> um, I am from the beautiful Motu of Rotuma, and I've been in the Kirikiriro for the past, say, 20 years. Um, pronouns he, him, his, and also every other pronoun there is, because mm. I don't really care what they call me, mm-hmm. but... Same time, I'm like, yeah, I better own my pronouns as well. Mm. And yeah, I'm so happy to be a part of this journey because it actually is a journey. Yeah. It's a massive journey. Yeah, so we're coming to you, your little ear holes, um, (laughs) (laughs) from the mighty Waikato in Mm. Aotearoa. Shout out to the Manafinawa. Yeah, that's actually probably a really good place to start. Um, so we just want to say hello to everyone. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to everyone right. who's listening. All right, let's let's do the do the proper mahi. Eh? I think it's important to recognise the the people who the manafinua of the land. Aye, also, because we're both who are we're both allies, and uh, we are both also not from here. Aye, so even though we was born here, we cannot take. That ownership, can we? No, not according to um, a lot of indigenous worldviews. Anyways, I guess in a way, it's almost like tracing your genealogy. So mm. I think they call it the root and route, but it's like the root and root. So where's your genealogy of your people and the root of your people from, mm. and then what's the route that it got to twenty twenty? Mm. So that's like I've not so, heard of that. Yeah. Before. So root root. So they call it roots and roots. But I'm like, oh, I need to pronounce it like an American so people can understand. I'm talking about root, the root of your de- genealogy mm. and your DNA and your people's like root to the land and connection and relation and kinship to the land and then how it's gotten all the way to 2020. And that's nice. what Whakapapa is. is the is, It's almost the root of it getting to 2020. Love that. Does that make Not sense? Not heard that before. It just like exploded my mind. Oh. <laughs> 
Thank you for that. So early into the episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll start us off with Mihi. I'll share my pipiha. Um, and then Yosefa share yes. his pipiha too. All right. So, tēnā koutou. Ina mana in the reo tēnā koutou. E mihi ana ki te mana whenua o tēnei takiwa. Tēnā koutou. E mihi ana ki a ranginui e tūnei. Kia papatu noku e, e takoto nei. E mihi ana ki te whare... Te whare e tūnei. E mihi ana ki te kingi Māori me tōna whare tapu. E mihi ana ki nā mate. Haere, haere, haere atura. E mihi ana ki nā kaumātua e arahi. So just recognition there of Ranginui and Papatunaku, um, of the the fare that we are in today, King Imari and the Sacred House, those that have passed and going back to Hawaii, um, and to our elders, our Komatua. Hey, kia ora. Kia ora. Um, so my tipiha, your fano mai aho in Wahia. Tupaki ho e whangaroa, tupaki ho ki raro e te maru, maru o karioi, e tupaki ho ki te tahat. Oh, go I'm there. learning. Go there, go there. I'm learning, mm. but I'm trying. Don't come for me unless it's critical analysis. <laughs> no, that's not the right word. Constructive criticism. Mm. E tupaki ho ki te taha o te moana o whangaroa, e noho ana aho e whangaroa e nai nei. E noho ana ki te tahatika o te awa o Waikato. Ko Kelsey, aho. Kia ora, Kelsey. Thank you. So, my whanau and I was born, well, I was born in Narua Wahia. I grew up in Whangaroa, out in Raglan. I grew up under the safeguard of Karioi, which is the manga out there, mm-hmm. and in the vicinity of Te Moana o Whangaroa, so the Whangaroa, the Raglan Harbour. I now also live in Raglan currently, um, and I was born on the river of, on the side of the Waikato River in mm. Narawa Wahia. All right, all right. My name is Kelsey. So you really fully like born and bred Waikato. Yeah. Like born across the river from Turangawawa. <laughs> come on, come on. Yeah, but not my river. I don't claim it. Hey. It ain't mine. I recognise it, but it ain't mine to claim. That's a really good disclaimer, and I'm, I'm, I feel like we need to dive into that later on oh, in the yeah. show. We will, but, eventually. Mm, yeah. Ko rutuma te motu, ko sakama chutu te marae, e tipu ake ahau ki raru i te maru o kirikiri roa, ko Moloseo Joseph Tolena Monise. Kia ora. Kia ora. Um, so um, I'm just saying that I'm from, so my root, so where my ancestry um, and my people are from, um, the, the island of Rotuma, um, and as well as Tuvalu, but I, I mainly claim my Rotuman side because that's the side that I've, I'm privileged um, to be exposed to. Um, I've been... So my marae or my, my village or district is um, um, Saukama and, um, in the district of Chuchu. And then at the same time, I've been in the mighty Hamilton Kirikiriroa for the last 20 years. I'm a great, great, great addition to the Kirikiriroa because obviously look at me like (laughs) (laughs) but they can't it's a podcast that's (laughs) the sad part um no I'm I'm just being like Hamilton's really encompassed and and nurtured me and I I can't like fault Hamilton enough for well not enough I can't fault Hamilton for actually providing a safe space for me to grow so that's something that I really appreciate and I know my positionality within this society as well so yeah that's me I totally took all that. Like, I spent most of my adolescent years growing up in Kirikiriroa in Hamilton. Um, and then just like bump between here and Raglan most mm. of the time. <laughs> Go home for the summer, oh. come back to Raglan in the winter, uh, back to Hamilton in the winter, be closer to home. Yeah, don't have to leave my house at six right. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, the question is how did we meet? I don't know, Joe. How oh. did we meet? Officially, um, we were both casuals at a job that we both. What? Well, wait. What were you needing that job for? Just was that an extra I, spare, was, spare yeah. money? It was just like a casual job that I could do while I was studying. Mm. Um, that was really adaptive to my study schedule, um, and the the peaks and troughs of that job aligned with the peaks and troughs of 
my study at the yeah. time. So when study was quiet, that job was Available. needed me. Yeah. Or like needed people, not me specifically. I ended up bored in. Did you? For sure, for sure, for sure. Um, and then when study got too much, or like study got needed me more, more time to dedicate to that, then they it was their quiet time there, so they didn't need me so much. Mm. So it worked really well, and I I was in that casual position for probably about a year, in the in the third and third and fourth year of my program. Wow, mm. it was quite cool. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Because, like, the only reason I asked that is because I, I literally was, that was kind of like a in-betweener while I was finding my next thing to do. Mm. And it was actually probably the perfect in-betweener because I think that in to me. Basically, <laughs> one, that's exactly where I wanted to go. Yeah, got it. I was, uh, fourth year of my studies, I was studying photography and I was doing a project on queer narratives and the intention of the program, or the intention of my project within the program, was to give queer people within my community an opportunity and a platform to speak and share their voice. Often our community, I find, is spoken for rather mm. than in collaboration with or given a platform to speak. So I wanted to provide that for a little of people in my community. Um, and I saw Joseph in the office and I was like mm, yeah he gay <laughs> <laughs> and never like had any proper conversation just like in passing work related um, and then I just went over one day picked up my my big kid undies walked over kahunas uh, <laughs> walked over and I was like Hi, I'm doing this project do you, do you think you might want to be involved um, I feel like I, I remember you saying it as well and it was so awkward like you yeah. were like it was almost like you were scared of being rejected, and I'm like, um, I was. Yes, <laughs> I was. Um, so then I just sent Joseph some of like the stuff that I'd already done, already photographed, um, and then after that, it's kind of like history, basically, pretty much. But the first time that we actually hung out outside of work <laughs> was an adventure. <laughs> well, I guess you got to see the best part of me, my my assets, my best assets. <laughs> you got to see because um, the photo shoot was in my favorite place, and mm. the toilet talking smack. <laughs> <laughs> so, I feel like if that didn't solidify our friendship and our working relationship mm. and our our life relationship, I don't know what would have. Mm. So Joseph was butt naked on the <laughs> toilet, not butt naked, just like pants down. He was still had a shirt on. On the toilet, I was crouched in the bath, across the bathroom, with my camera on a tripod, asking Joseph questions while he was taking a shit. And that's how you build long-lasting relationships, <laughs> folks. If you're if you're wanting various um, um, frameworks on how to build meaningful relationships, <laughs> try that. Try that one out. Yeah, I bet you. It's a great framework for relationships. One hundred percent. All right. So yeah. tell us about our co-popper today, then. Um. So today we're just gonna kind of give you so this is one of three episodes that we're going to put out before our first proper launch of the fuck you podcast yes um, but we wanted to give our listeners or our new listeners hello <laughs> um opportunity to learn about us a little bit before we jump into some topics it'll give you a bit of a context around our fakaro our thoughts and maybe why we might be thinking like that in those mm conversations around specific topics um so today we're going to start with our childhood yeah. <laughs> um how we grew up uh what our family is without giving too much away mm. um and kind of some of those foundational experiences that we had as children mm. yeah because i think we're both very much on the same cope of, like same mindset of just mm. being like you know there's a recipe of how we got to today. And I think mm -hmm. that's the whole point of these three um, episodes is just to paint you a clear picture or a roadmap of how we became the people we are today. Mm -hmm. And it's sure. uh, as much as it's it's sharing a little bit of our vulnerabilities, it's almost inviting you to be a part of this conversation. Mm -hmm. And also a recognition that we didn't get here on our own. Yes, go there, go there. Um, and that there are so many other people within mm. our community that had a part to play in who we have become. And recognising those people and giving them the respect that they deserve. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Back that up. Yeah. Um. So, part of my pipiha, you would have heard that I was born in Narwa Wahia. 
lived mm-hmm. lived there for the first five years of my life. Um, so I was born at home. What? Uh, yeah. Do you not know that? No. Like what? In a bathtub or like in a pool? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, sorry, mum, I did too much information. Um, so mum wanted to have a water birth at yes. home in the lounge. Love that. But she wanted the water so hot that the midwife said, that's not going to happen because your baby's going to burn. Um, so yeah, and you might have gotten darker if that had. So we went for the other pool, uh, the toilet. <laughs> and so apparently if you're in labour and you sit on the toilet, it just like opens everything up. You can't tense any. It really does. Um, so the midwife told mum, go sit on the toilet. And so she did. And then out I come. Into the toilet? No. Oh, man, I really almost. wish that it was. I thought that that... Oh. No, almost. <laughs> Concussion explains a lot. Um, but actually, my dad caught me when I, when I came flying out. Third kid, so just like way out of there. Um, <laughs> sorry, mom. Yeah, I'm like, damn, you just really exposed a whole lot of your mom, like, oh, and we love you. <laughs> love you. And, um, yeah, so apparently I was the easiest out of the three. Not that I want to know why. Um, anyway, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so born at home on the toilet floor uh, at a service for a late friend's mum. Mm. The late My friend's late mum um, met someone who brought the house after us, actually, and they had their child in the same place on the toilet floor in that same house. So oh, that was quite wow. interesting. Yeah. Coincidence or not? No. They wanted the same thing. They wanted a home birth as well, mm. and they had the birthing, like, tub in the lounge and same thing. So I'm not the only one mm. in that exact situation, so that's fun. Um, but, yeah, so my I've got an older sister uh, who is four years older than me and an older brother who is two years older than me. Um, and my dad actually has just got recently engaged, which... Joseph has given me the eyes because I haven't told him yet. <laughs> Recently, as in like a week and a bit ago. Oh my God, love is in the air. Yeah, so now I've got another two step-siblings. To be. To be. Mm. Yeah. Oh my so God. That's exciting. So an older, a new older brother and then a new younger sister. Yeah, which is the first time. That I've had more than me and my brother and my sister. So mm. it's going to be an interesting adventure. Yeah, 100%. Looking forward to it, but, like, just don't know what to expect. Mm. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, so, yeah, I lived in that house up until I was five. Went to my first school, which was a rural school, which I loved. <laughs> um, but my parents made the decision to move to Kirikiriroa, when I was five because my older brother was leaving school and needed to go to intermediate and the schools in that area, my brother is quite uh, intellectually gifted so I, my parents anticipated that he might find the curriculum at those schools not challenging enough and they wanted to push him academically to you know, reach the limits or extend the limits that he could reach. Um, so we came through to Hamilton so that he could go to a school that had a, um, it's called a differentiated learning unit, which is for people on each end of the spectrum. So there was children in the classroom that maybe needed support with their learning, but also children in the classroom that extended the standard curriculum for the age group. So it was quite cool for him. Um, and then obviously that meant that me and my sister also had to move schools as well. Mm. So I moved to Hamilton, went to primary school that my sister was at. Um, and then the really cool thing was that I got to follow a lot of my family's footsteps, educational footsteps, going to the intermediate school and the high school that my mum and both her sisters and my dad and both his brothers and some of my grandparents went to. So that was pretty cool. Damn, okay, legacy. I know. So that was like, it was really nice. And it's cool to be able to have conversations with, like, my uncles. I've been like, hey, is that teacher there? Yeah, I know them. And then, like, because <laughs> Hamilton's quite small, um, meeting people now who went to school with my uncles, or like meeting people now 
um, who are my friends who went to school with my aunties. Mm. It's, it's quite cool and it like it it gives opportunities for Falkafunonatanga to make connections with people. Mm, 100%. I really value that. Yeah, so that's kind of like my education journey. Yeah, I guess to me, um, I grew up on the islands. Uh, I was one of so so this way I think we are very very similar and I well just the connection that I just made um mm. I was born I was one of the f- like very few babies who are able to be born on the island at the hospital because our hospital doesn't have a lot of um like facilities and resources so if you had a difficult pregnancy you had to you had to fly to Fiji mm. so if 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 anything, um, I was kind of really happy that my mum was super healthy and super on point um, and I was able to be born on the island. So there's, mm. there's not a lot of kids who are actually able to be born on the island. So that's that's I take that privilege 100% and I'm so proud of that moment. But kind of like you, my mum gave birth to me early hours in the morning and it was while she was already going for a pool, like in the toilet. <laughs> so like... Red toilet baby. Yeah. Basically, I mean, welcome to the fuck you, <laughs> toilet babies. If you ain't a toilet baby, you ain't welcome. Yeah. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Toilet babies exclusive, I'm like, like, but yeah, so growing up in the islands, it was so different. Like everything was just, yeah, it was just different to what people are normal, like what 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 what, what is normal to um to the lifestyle in Hamilton and Kirikiriroa. That's something that's so far different from what I, what I what I grew up with and it was almost like growing up in Rotuma was like knowing that like, like the lived realities um in Hamilton as as a as a dream that's ex- like a distant dream to me mm. that's not something that I could do or that's not something that I could fathom for myself and I think the only thing that I wanted to be as a like well, the the only other jobs that was available that was successful was to be a teacher on the island. Mm. Mm. And I think even the um, hourly rate for that is like $3 or three fifty. What? <laughs> yeah. It's, well, you have to understand it, it, it operates on a different climate. Yeah, but true. at the same time, it doesn't make it any better that it does, mm. you know, or worse. It's um, different. Mm, I, I definitely loved it. Like, I loved growing up um, before moving to New Zealand at eight, eight eight years old. Oh. I'm so I'm like I'm I kind of low key um, crave being that ignorant and going back there and just enjoying that lifestyle without the worries or hardships of a adult mind, you know, mm. or like or or an, a young adult mind. Yeah, mm. and do you think that's because you associate living on at living in Rotuma with that childhood mindset, mm. whereas a lot of your presumably I don't know you. A lot of your experience in New Zealand would have been moving away from your mum, having to grow up at eight years old in a foreign country where you are visibly a minority. 100%. I didn't even know that I was was Pacifica or Pacific Islander until I came to New Zealand. That would have, well, I presume that would have been quite a learning experience for you. Mm, and it continues to it, it, it continues to be a um, learning experience because even today I get little nuances of being like oh what you're you're a well spoken islander mm, mm-hmm. interesting yeah. <laughs> what's your background and I'm like life <laughs> <laughs> failure <laughs> what's your credentials failure mm. and resilience yeah. But yeah, um, all right. So, what is what? What's your worst or favorite or worst part of your childhood? Going back to back. I. <laughs> How deep do we want to go? How deep do you want to go? It's your story. Uh, when like my childhood was great. My parents were amazing. I had opportunities. That I know a lot of people around me didn't get, like, mm. our family travelled almost yearly to different things um, or different different locations outside of New Zealand. So I understand that that is an opportunity that not a lot of people have or have the privilege to do. Mm. Um, so I'm super grateful for that. Something that I did find quite challenging, which I 
know a lot of people can relate to is that when I was 14, my parents split up. Mm. And it completely changed my world. And I think it was it was challenging for me because even though I, I know it's common in my group of friends at school at that time, my parents were the only one that had split up. I know. Unusual, right? That is unusual. And, like, my my group of friends was, like, six or eight people. Wow. And, like, all of their parents were still together, and I think mostly now even they're still together. And, like, I was the only one in that group that whose parents were splitting up. So I couldn't really talk to my friends about it, and I couldn't really – well, I didn't feel like I could talk to my siblings about it. Like, mm. my brother was 20 and had pretty much, like – already moved out my sister was 18 had her own life was an adult I was kind of the only child in that situation because mm. others were old enough that they could go off and have their own life and do their own thing whereas I was still required adult supervision yeah yeah so I, I found that experience quite quite challenging mm. um and also, I was the only one that went between my mum's house and my dad's house. Like, my, not, none of the other siblings had to do that. Oh, I, I can already feel like, I can already imagine there's so many awkwardness. Yeah. Um, my parents did, though. They did try to, like, they got an, an apartment or a room an apartment with one of their mutual friends and then me and my sister stayed in the house and the mum and dad went um like came and went um which I'm so grateful that they even tried that so that me and my sister could have consistency and then I think that they felt that because it was their decision they had to make that effort of going between the house like the family home and this room that they'd rented mm. with a family friend um and that they would go back and forth rather than us, the children. That's such a beautiful framework because I've never even heard of that yeah. in my life. I'm like, I'm glad that they tried it. It showed that they were willing to go outside of what's normal and that they didn't, like, hate each other. And they still don't. Like, they're still pretty amicable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of their conversations around what was going to happen with us was around consistency for us. I think particularly for me as a as the youngest, mm. um, and being in high school and all that kind of thing, um, but yeah, I, I found that quite quite challenging. I didn't really feel like I had many people that I could talk to. My friends didn't have weren't going through the same experience or been through the same experience, um, so I felt quite alone, which was sad. Yeah, well. but I'm over it now. <laughs> no, you're not over it. I worked you. through it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Not that cool. And your favourite part then? Um, Travelling with my family. Mm. Like when when the family unit was still together, uh, when I think I was about like 11, around there, we went on a family holiday to Bali. Before Bali is what it is now, before it exploded into this tourism mecca um my parents had tried to go to bali um and then there was the first bali bombings so they cancelled all their trip they tried to go again and something else happened where they couldn't go so they're like screw it if we're gonna go we'll just take the whole family if we get bombed at least we'll be together (laughs) (laughs) it was an interesting approach um and we went to bali we spent i think probably about two weeks there and that experience completely changed the way that I viewed the world. Mm. Like I was old enough to recognise that this isn't just, like it wasn't just a holiday for me. It was an opportunity to see a different world, a different lifestyle outside of my white middle class upbringing. And it just like, even to this day, I still think of, or like can see in my mind some of the people that we met or walked past or... I brought things from and how different their life was. And and I think it was the first time that I could comprehend that my existence isn't the only narrative. Mm. And, yeah, just like even now it's still 
That's beautiful. Comes up. And I think that that, like, built a quite a strong foundational experience to expand outside of my perspective mm. as a young person. Wow, amazing. Mm. It's so weird because I feel like when I when I heard you speak just before, um, you were speaking of the rec- like you were recognizing that your travels was was a privilege, oh, but at the sure. same time, one of those like mini travels actually really hit home like mm. in a in a meaningful way for you in your journey. Yeah, and one of the experiences that we had on that trip was it was one of the first times that I had taken photos, and there was these children close to where we were staying um, and we had a disposable camera because that's what it was and we took some photos of these children. We went and got the photos developed and we went back and we'd got two copies printed, one for us and and we gifted one to these little children, to these children. And they, I don't know, maybe in my like 11-year-old mind of like, they've never seen themselves before (laughs) or I don't know what it was but Mm. I was like, it was our first time that I can remember of putting together photography and, like, just, like, pure joy from these young children of seeing themselves in a printed photograph. Mm. And then when we gifted those photos to them, like, the week we did not speak the same language. There was no verbal communication no, there. Not needed either. But we gifted them these, these pictures and they run off and, like, show their parents or whatever and their parents just, like, smile and wave at us or whatever. And it was just so, it was such a good experience for me. Mm. And then to like go through and study photography, I think that's probably one of the first experiences where I was like, oh, photography, that's cool. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, It was well, such a life-changing trip. In my head, I'm like, I can hear all the good things from that and like how it's actually, because in, in a way I could almost picture myself as that kid because... Mm whenever we had visitors it was always like oh my gosh so-and-so's like Mm. so-and-so's family have like visitors from overseas yeah so I could totally relate to that yeah that gift as well and like they would gift us so many random things and we would be like oh my god these people are so kind yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah like it was nothing for us but I think maybe it was a a lot for that Mm. those children well, they would have never, yeah, they would have never um, received anything similar unless mm. somebody else was kind enough or generous enough. Yeah. Mm. What about you? What What's something from your childhood that you found challenging or an experience? Mm. I guess meeting my mum for the first time because I like I'd have to say that um, when I because my mum had to go and earn money so. Um, if you don't know about small island um, woes and issues, is that um, a lot of small islands um, get their economic balance or their economic um, um, fuel through um, remittances. And those remittances are just money that's sent back from overseas to the island. So if you look at um, the financial banks, like the well, the financial stats of Rotuma, you'll find that a lot of the money coming into the economy is very much from outside families. Mm. So my mum went and travelled like so this is something that I've always wanted to write a book about as well or just um, document in some way, shape or form, is that my mum went and um, became like one of the first fisherwomen to actually fish on commercial boats and would travel all over the world, like South mm. America, Canada. Uh-oh. And yes, cool. so like she would travel the seas. So I'm mm. like, I was thinking of like, you know, really branding this like the Rotuman Moana, you know, like really <laughs> just, just going ahead with the wind with it. Yeah. Um, but really she's like by her taking the brave step to do that, she was able to earn a large amount of money. So she would go for like six months of the year or three to six months of the year, depending how on how big or small the fishing trip was. And she would just send us money in a postcard from random as places in the world. Like I, I remember seeing a postcard from like Santa Monica, like um, Canada, Brazil, like random as like places in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I met him for the for the first time, I remember everyone because I, I I was raised by my grandparents, so my grandparents really like I one hundred percent thought they were my my parents. Mm. So when I met everyone, was like, oh my god, Auntie G's in town, Auntie G's in town. And I'm like, oh, cannot wait to go and see Auntie G. And when everyone was like, <laughs> hey, Auntie G, hey, Auntie G, I went up and said, hey, Auntie G. And everyone, like, like literally, it was like this deafening silence, like, <gasps> and then I heard some my, one of my aunties like, you idiot, that's your mother. <laughs> like, 
And that was your first, like... Yeah. Wow. So that was my first conscious meeting of my mother. Wow. Like, she obviously gave birth to me Post and raised win. me. Yeah, basically. <laughs> well, well, when my mind came into to, to consciousness, that was the first time I remember meeting my mom. And I feel like that was a little bit of a woe because it, like, I almost was dis- dis- disorientated or discombobulated mm. because my new norm would mm-hmm. be my mom going away and coming yeah. back periodically. Mm-hmm. And that was... Like something that I almost felt like she was a stranger to me in a ways and in a lot of ways because I didn't get to be told off or to be shaped by her. Mm. I was told off and shaped by my grandparents, which I love 100 percent. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that um, I like through my adolescence years um, up until I was eight, I wasn't raised by her at all. So I already had some social norms that mm-hmm. was concreted, some perceived truths that were concreted from my family members um, at home and as well as on the island. So it was completely different to then come over mm-hmm. and live and be raised by by a woman that you saw periodically, like yeah. once 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 a year, or if, 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 if at best, two twice a year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in a way, I that was like such a ugh, ugly moment because it just it felt like you were always yearning for something or missing something. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so on the, on the flip side to that, I guess my happiest part of um, of my childhood would probably be actually getting to connect with um, my kinship and my community, my family, um, the land, the sea. Like, I have so many, like, emotions and memories that are triggered when I hear or smell a certain, um, like, flower so mm. if, if, if if i smell um, frenchy panis or like anything that's mango or tropical i don't know why but i get this little like weird sensation when i see tropical or mango or orange i'm like mm, we don't have oranges on the like on the tuna <laughs> but like i'm just like mm, yeah. like you know i'm a little bit of home and even the saddest part was um if you live in in, in, in hamilton you'll know where the place water tuna is and i would literally as a kid watch the rototuna bus go by and I, and I would actually like be so excited because I think that I could hop on that bus Aww. and it would take me to Rotuma. Rotatuna, Rotuma. Two different things. Aww. But yeah, happiest moment, definitely being raised by the family and connecting to the land, sea and the family as well. Would, that, would you say that that would be one of the first times that you felt part of a community? Oh, 100%. But at the same time, I always knew my positionality. Like, I never, like, so everyone always reminded me that my mom was overseas. Mm. And it was like, anything that I did wrong, oh, it's because your mother's overseas. Anything that I did right, oh, well, like, luckily your mom's not here to see this. Like, you yeah. know, so um, as much as you want to document all the happy parts, yeah. I think as a kid, we naturally look at all the stink things that happened and occurred. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, in a way, it's it's almost like... It's a catch twenty two because I like these. There's both positive, like the duality of it. There's positives and negatives mm-hmm. um, to every situation. But I feel like as an optimist, and naturally, I always take the stance of an optimist. I I see all of those things as just building blocks to shaping who I am today. Yeah, for sure. And it was hard, tough, whatever you call it, or it was fun and and happy. But yeah, I, I like I guess my current philosophy on life is it's all about experiences, good or bad. It's about experiences, mm-hmm. and life to me is about living. And to live, you kind of need experiences to back that up. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And is there any experience with any particular people outside of the family unit that you think shaped or or gave, gave you some of those building blocks to who you are today? Oh my god, are you trying to expose me and my come up? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one hundred percent. So my stepdad. Um, my step, like meeting my stepdad was definitely one of the bigger um, influences in my life because I never took him for, for granted, but I always thought that he would be there. Mm. And when, like, so my last year in high school was when um, my mom and him separated. So in a way, I kind of had to have my little own um, pity party for that. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it because I what was like a hot What did that pity party mess. look like? Um, yelling and screaming, um, being rebellious, not not answering my mum, coming home whenever I... Oi, what is a curfew to me? Like, that was like... <laughs> Even now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll be home at 6. 7.30. Yeah. But yeah, so my stepdad being like... He actually funded a lot of my... like. 
he funded my high school career and my primary wow. school career and all of my sporting career, like all of my sporting and like extracurricular accolades that I received was purely because of him. Mm. So like, there's no, like when I speak of like Western uh, Academy as well as Indigenous Academy, I don't position myself outside of both those two, um, like don't explain perspectives. Those. Well, the Western Academy is like to me is kind of like um, Western ideals and Western apology, uh, um, epistemologies or Western ways of knowing mm-hmm. what's what's real and what's not real and w- ways of defining what's real and what what's not real. The Indigenous Academy, I guess, it's almost kind of like the underdog or the Cinderella story where we almost have to fight to self determinate and to self define what is right and wrong from our perspectives. Mm-hmm. And for me, I like. For my unique position or positionality in this is that I can't say that I am for Western Academy or the Indigenous Academy because I was privileged to be able to come and study in the Western Mm. Academy and then to be formally trained in the Western Academy, like through school and high school. But at the same time, coming now to a point where I'm almost um, doing my master, well, I'm doing my master's and I'm starting to learn that actually a lot of the books that I read, a lot of the things that I um, that I did was purely for somebody else's um, determination mm-hmm. of what intelligence is. Yeah, for sure. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and my head. Math. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's just weird that, that. I guess for me, it's 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 balancing the duality of both that mm. that I'm self determining as an indigenous thinker and pioneer of mm-hmm. thought for myself, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, understanding that my conditioning, which is like the Western Academy, is one hundred percent real and one hundred percent there. Uh huh. I think that in order to be able to be part of society, recognition of the Western Academy and some kind of experiences within it is important because then you can operate within it and recognize that it is a thing. And then you, like in your case, you could bring in your Indigenous Academy and be like, oh, yeah, see that? That's the white patriarchy. That's the this. But unless you've had experiences within the Western, I think it could be hard to be even recognize that it even exists because I know there's people that think that oh, no, this is just normal. This is just life. It's nothing's freaking normal. It's just common and it's reiterated through history and through stories and people reiterating the same thing and then people are just so conditioned to it, like mm. you said. Oh, I, no, I, so I, I totally love that, um, that thought pattern because to me, even to push it further, is that because the West, like... Social norm is dictated by majority, and if the, mm-hmm. if the majority um, think and act in certain ways, it's almost as though anything that's outside of that box is deemed as unintelligent or yeah. deemed as not worthy of or doesn't have value. Yeah. And to me, I guess I, I really love your point because you kind of need to know the inside game to actually be able to operate it. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I guess to me, we've never had a chance to live in a, in a society where Indigenous values and Indigenous indigeneity and it's mm-hmm. in its own is like embraced as of value of equal weight or of yeah. equal status a and lot of so much of our society is based on the book mm. the book club um, you know um, you already know my <laughs> i already that book club you know who you are and if you're listening please know that you're the problem <laughs> <laughs> the book club is there some people subscribe to it some people don't but it's not about the people I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> the people are fine like it's, yeah. it's just the fact like i'm like it's your approach boo. it's yeah. your approach but like the book club do we need to explain what the book club is i feel like we do but okay. are we so, putting ourselves at risk <laughs> potentially but it's our opinion and we're entitled to it right go there so when we're talking about the book club we're talking about Christianity. Religion. <laughs> White religion that dictates our society. Um, so the definition of marriage came from the book club. The men are the almighty came from the book club. 100%. Oh, uh, certain coloured men, by the way. Not oh, yeah, not, <laughs> not our, just the white men. So many of our societal norms come from the book club. So many of our policies and legislations derive from the book club. Even that like, system as a whole came from the book club. Mm. Um, And then because that is recognised, because it's reiterated, then things like Māori creation stories, those are myths and legends. 
They're not myths and legends, mate. They're creation stories. And just because they don't have a book like yours does because it's a verbal... Makes me wow. so grumpy. Oh my god, I feel like you've really invested some time and effort and energy into this thought. Like I just think that it like it's demeaning and it's demoralizing for one religion to I was gonna say Trump, but I don't want to get involved with that. No, yeah. Um to dominate and say, Oh, just because we're the most common, yours are irrelevant. Mm, mm. And that's so frustrating because, like you said about the indigenous book, like the ind- the indigenous book club, the indigenous academy, it's not as common, but that doesn't mean that it's invalid. Right. And being in Aotearoa, we need to recognise that they're not myths and legends, they are creation stories. And you can't det- determine that they are myths and legends because they don't align with your book club. Mm. And it's the elitism of, 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 of defining what is yeah. real and what is not real. I know. It just frustrates me. But um, that's a topic for another day. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, I feel like that topic is super relevant across the board because it affects us and our and our and our and our approaches. Like if if we look at it, it's like we could really see that the the book club, like I love that you're talking about how they have like the superiority that it's us or nothing. Yeah, pretty you much. Know? And, like, the way that I see religion and the way that I see spirituality, like, please understand, ladies and folks, we are both 100% spiritual people. Mm. We just don't need a framework or a vehicle or a tool like religion to get us connected and be enlightened or in, in that way, shape, or form. Yeah. It's almost as though, like, for me, I see religion as um, different vehicles to getting to mm-hmm. um, to wherever that safe space is, if it's heaven or if it's, you know, whatever that Hawaii. space Mm. And we're not saying that they're not important. Yeah, see, so please understand that. They're just not for us. Mm. And I like because they exclude us one hundred percent. Yeah, I was going to say that in a much long, much more long way. (laughs) 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 Trying to be a bit PC. Nah, nah, not for you. You're the gays. Get out. Not an hour vehicle. And see, so (laughs) the word that I want to use is hegemony and superiority complex. Like the superiority Western complex. Academy. <laughs> of course. Come on. I had to go and learn these English words. <laughs> Don't ask me to spell them, but I can I can definitely point them out in, in the context. Hedge money. H E D G E. Oh no, that's just a hedge. <laughs> hedge on money. Money. Get some money off the hedge. Right. Anyway, moving on. Yes. Um, so that kind of like wraps us up for this time. But mm-hmm. the next episode of the the next of these part two of the part three whatever um we're going to go into a little bit around our experiences within those academies whoop, whoop. And we've both been in those in different times and capacities um and then josepha so the podcast is called the fuck you mm-hmm. do to explain why we chose this name Oh, well, I just want to do a massive shout out to the thought leader in the space, my mum. <laughs> um, so whenever she gets annoyed or ticked off, she's like, oh, tell that person to go to the far queue. Mm. And in my head, I was like, that is the, the driest, funniest thing I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> so whenever, I guess to me, I'm so sick and tired of being at the far queue. Like, I think a lot of our voices, a lot of our issues, a lot of our... Um, hurts and a lot of our experiences are not validated by society so in a way i'm not trying to say that i belong in the faki i'm just saying that i'm sick and tired of waiting for my turn to be heard my time to be like when 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 am i going to be privileged enough to be at the forefront of the table of decisions Mm -hmm. so i guess the faki is almost saying quite literally for everybody who doesn't um i guess how do i say this everyone who doesn't actually understand the struggles or the lived experiences of our people please join me at the furthest queue because you're Mm. the problem Mm. if you're not willing to open yourself up to and it's going back to what you were saying before like you understood that there was various different worldviews Mm -hmm. when you went away and um, and on on that trip and i guess to me i'm not there's no elitism here i'm not saying that my perspectives are the 100 conversations Mm. and it's been 100 topics that People are too scared to talk about. <laughs> right? And 100%, most of the time, it's always about just privileging views that I'm like, oh, wow, 
that's that's still like you know within that little box mm-hmm. you're you're operating safely within your box but yeah. yes so i guess from next week onwards i guess we'll put in um a lot of other issues that are revolve yeah. around the topic in the far queue so we'll have a section called what belongs in the far queue and we'll tell mm-hmm. you what belongs in the far queue because there's a lot of things that um that affect a lot of queer people that it's almost like it's a privilege for all of these people who don't yeah. understand the, the lived experience. Mm-hmm. So we're obviously um, coming, well, I can speak to myself, you can talk about yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm coming from a queer perspective and offering my lived experience as a white person who passes as cis in what my experience is. Mm. I can't talk for anybody else. I can express what, I, what I've lived and what my experiences is experiences what my experiences are and then my perspective on a certain situation i'm not gonna come here i'm not gonna speak for people that i have no lived experience 100%. and i guess you're the same right mm. slightly different not a white person <laughs> sorry about that well, you don't get this privilege <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's literally how it is like that's the energy we keep in like we mm. know our positionality within society with especially um just understanding that there's there's some voices that we will mm. not be able to speak for, and we yeah. recognise that one hundred percent. And we're hoping to have those people represented by the people that we bring through yes. to have conversations with us about these topics. So it won't be just us. Please keep on coming mm. back because you know that we'll have some juicy topics to tell Anora over. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to stay connected, then you can jump through onto Instagram. Instagram. We have an Instagram. What? We've got all of three followers. Um, yes. Two of them are us. <laughs> Humble beginnings. Um, Humble beginnings. And it is FarQ, F-A-R-Q-U-E-U-E podcast. So FarQ podcast on Instagram. Um, and you can be maybe our fourth or fifth follower. Yes, please. <laughs> Definitely jump into that. Yeah. Um, also, let us know what 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 needs to what what needs to what belongs in the far queue or mm. some topics that you actually want to discuss. Please jump in there because we are so wanting to hear from you and at the same time, be be enriched by your views as well because you know we 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 have to acknowledge that we have some blind spots. So please mm. come and give us some constructive criticism. Yeah, and if maybe you want to be. Um part of the podcast you can yes. send us an audio file and then Ooh. we can uh, pop you in so we will um be reaching out to our community that we are building yes. um to be involved as well so if you are interested in that if you want to share some of your focado some of your thoughts um send it through dm us with an audio file that we can then put into the podcast mm. cool all right sweet yep Closing jingle. <laughs> <laughs>